Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. When Brenda Bean was 15 years old, she and two cousins decided to hike up a waterfall to watch the sunset. While scaling the slippery precipice, one of her cousins lost his footing and fell off the rock face. The fear was indescribable, she says. It was paralyzing. I sat there next to his lifeless body for what seemed like forever. The sun started to go down, and then I saw two faces coming over the ledge. It was search and rescue. I was so grateful. Brenda Bean had what uh, apparently is not an unusual reaction. She went on to become a search and rescue volunteer. If you were lost on a mountain, who would come to your rescue? Mother Nature can be harsh, especially if you're unprepared or in the wrong place at the wrong time. Fortunately, hundreds of men and women are willing to risk their lives to bring others to safety. Nancy Green's new documentary film takes a behind-the-scenes look at Utah's first responder search and rescue volunteers, shows how life and death experiences have shaped their lives. The film is titled Search and Rescue. And today on the program, we're joined by USU professor and search and rescue volunteer Scott Hammond and filmmaker Nancy Green from the studios of KCPW. We're going to talk about uh, search and uh, rescue. Uh, So Scott Hammond and Nancy Green, welcome to the program. Good morning, Tom. Thank you. We appreciate you uh, joining us. Um, Scott Hammond uh, has been on the program before with your uh, wonderful book, Lessons of the Lost. Um, and uh, Nancy Green, I believe we've had you on before previous uh, films. So very interesting uh, new film. By the way, this uh, premieres on KUED Channel 7 on Monday, May 9th at uh, 8 p.m. And there are other uh, airings of the, the program as, as well. Um, let me start with you, uh, Scott Hammond. Um, maybe you could uh, refresh our memories. Uh, how did you get into Search and Rescue? Well, I was um, actually a very similar story, only we were looking for my um, brother-in-law. And uh, as we've talked about on your program before, we sort of have the sense that everyone has been lost at one point or another in their life. And uh, many of of us sort of find that it's fun to be responsible for not just finding yourself, but helping find someone else. It's fun to have that sense of responsibility and also um, that that joy that you have when you come across something that was unexpected. Nancy Green, how did you uh, how did you uh, compile this uh, this area of inquiry? Um, actually, a couple of different ways. Somebody at the station at uh, at KUED actually suggested it, but I'd been out with Utah County Search and Rescue doing a documentary years ago called Secrets of the Lost Canyon, and I had to basically lower a <clears throat> um, couple hundred feet down off this uh, canyon rim and film a granary. And the people who lowered me down to film were actually Utah County Search and Rescue crew. So um, I got to know a lot of them there and was always intrigued by um, who they were. They're all volunteers. What do they do? and Why do they do it? Then we ran into each other. <laughs> then Scott okay. and I ran into each other, and the rest, the rest is history. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so Scott, you uh, you have a dog, right? You that's yeah. I'm a canine you... person, but I also work with Utah County Search and Rescue now, and uh, I do volunteer work that way. But I also write about it a lot, and write about how teams form and how highly, highly reliable teams and stuff, and that sort of informed the documentary. Some of the stories that are in the documentary came out of my book. And some of them are unique. Um, let's uh, let's hear this. We I recounted this at the beginning. Brenda Bean, who's now a search and rescue volunteer, mm-hmm. uh, she re- in the film she recounts her experiences. Let's uh, hear a bit of this. This is clip number two. Let's hear this now from Search and Rescue. So I was 15, and my cousins and I decided to spend the day together 
and hike up to a waterfall and watch the sunset. And the plan was to hike back down when we were done. And when they were, they were climbing up the, the face of this, this rock, uh, one of them lost his footing and fell, fell all the way to the bottom. And when he fell, he left his other, his youngest brother still clinging to the rock face. And so I sat there and the fear was indescribable. It was paralyzing. I sat there next to his lifeless body for what seemed like forever. And the sun started to go down and then I saw two faces come up over that ledge that I looked at for a long time. It was search and rescue. And I was so grateful. Little did I know it was volunteers. And that people that we didn't know, they didn't know who we were, and they just volunteered to leave their family at a moment's notice to come help a total stranger. And that's when I decided, when I found out who they were, that's what I wanted to do. Every call to me is personal. I can't see myself doing anything else. I, I love it. And it's, and it, the driving factor for me hasn't changed. The experience that we had, I mean, it's like I lived it yesterday. It's still fresh on my mind and, and that continues to push me. So Nancy Green, uh, Brenda Bean says it's uh, this is a driving factor for her. Um, mm-hmm. It's very personal, and uh, there are another couple people in your film who were rescued, and then the, the response was, "Well, I, w- I want to become a rescuer." Is is uh, seems like that's not unusual. Yeah, I don't think it's unusual. I don't think you know. I mean, everyone has their own reason for going into it, but I think a lot of people either witness a rescue happening, have been rescued themselves, or um, they just love the outdoors. Um, and they just, you know, they know if they were in trouble or if their family members were in trouble, they know they really would want somebody out there to help them. One of the things I really like about this film that you did, that you brought into this, was that this isn't about the technical aspects of the gee whiz aspects of a mountain rescue or all the technology. It's about what's going on inside somebody when they reach out to somebody else in the worst day of their life and say, you know, I'm going to help you. And so I, that's one of the things I really like about this film is that it's about what's in the head and the heart and not what's going on on the mountain. Uh, so, Nancy Green, um, who are these volunteers? Uh, the, you know, various occupations, just about any occupation you want to name, the, the people come from, including uh, you, you have John Valentine in the film. Uh, I state, do. state senator, yeah. State senator and tax commissioner. Tax right? commissioner, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, John's amazing. And um, but you have teachers, you have uh, real estate uh, agents, you have mechanics, you have, I mean, people from uh, professors, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have you have people from all walks of life. And I think it's it's not, I think what binds them together um, or bonds them together is is more this desire to serve, this desire to help. This desire, um, as Scott has taught me, uh, to solve problems, to figure things out, um, and and really it is this this driving desire to serve, um, and combined with that incredible love of outdoors. I, I think it's a, a desire to be relevant. You want to do something that's really important right now. You want to be relevant, and then it's also a driving need to be responsible. 
that you just want to be that responsible party that sort of comes in and fixes things for a few minutes. But you've mentioned the word bond, and bond is really a part of it, too. Mm. Yeah, I think team is, is incredible. I think that's one thing that everyone says. They come, they come onto the team thinking, you know, I'm going to have all this adventure. Then they discover there's a lot of tedium. You know, there's a lot of training. There's just a lot of dedication. <laughs> a lot of hurry up and wait. But then they discover that really what keeps them on the team is this bond with each other. Um, w- one of the, the people in the film, the volunteer, says, uh, this is a quote, we're not normal. Says this volunteer, <laughs> and uh, in a good way, right? Right. No. Well, I mean, you have to be a little crazy to to run out at any day, any time, yeah. day or night, uh, you know, in horrible conditions. And and that was one of the things that that uh, I, I found amazing was just the uh, the dedication that everyone had, and the fact that yeah, you have to be. You have to be a, just a tiny bit crazy to drop everything, run out in the middle of the night under the worst weather, the worst conditions, and go help somebody. Mm. Well, and these are the people that stop at the tra- traffic accident, grab their kits, run down there, and know exactly what to do. You know, that's what it comes down to is they just want to be that person who says, I know how to help. I, I can fix this or I can make it better or I know how to solve this problem. And these are volunteers that, you know, Brenda Bean says she was uh, surprised to learn it. You know, these these faces that were so welcome to her coming over that ledge, uh, they're, they're volunteers. In fact, you have to pay out quite a bit of money to get equipment and, and such. There's there's time, there's effort, there's an emotional toll, and it's all on a volunteer basis. Yeah, I mean, they're all, it's, you know, on their own time and their own dime, right? I mean, and, and yeah, and it is it is all volunteer. I mean, simply, the reality is, is that the amount of man hours I think uh, the average over the last 15 years or so is about 30,000 uh, volunteer hours a year um, that people put in. I mean, taxpayers, we just couldn't afford to have people on call all the time to handle this. So volunteers are just critical. Well, and I think that 30,000 hours or mission hours, the training hours are much more than that. Absolutely. And uh, w- But one thing, Tom, that you have to understand is that there are there is in every county a sheriff's deputy or a, a full-time professional in charge of of coordinating this, but and every county is slightly different in the state of Utah, uh, though Salt Lake County tends to focus more on having professional mountain rescue people uh, do a lot of this and firefighters, but all of the other counties have a volunteer search and rescue group of some kind. I want to uh, jump in talking about uh, how this affects you as as a volunteer, as, as a person. And we talked a little bit about the reasons a person would would do this. All those hours of training, all those uh, hours of sometimes hurry up and wait, and then, uh, and sometimes uh, it's not a rescue, right? It turns into a recovery, and that's that's got to be very very hard. Um, so let's let's hear another uh, clip from the film. This is number three. Um, this is the aftermath, and it's kind of a central portion of your film, Nancy. Uh, you you treat the the Nutty Putty Cave incident. John Jones, a young man, medical student. Um, go, goes exploring in Nutty Putty Cave um, and gets stuck. And then this made, uh, you know, state and na- national news. Uh, in fact, the media was, it was, took a long time, right? And, and they thought at one point they had him out, but then uh, the, the pulley system uh, broke. Um, and, uh, and it ended up that uh, John Jones uh, died. This uh, treats, uh, it, you have some very powerful interviews here, Nancy Green, with some, some of the first responders there, the search and rescue people. Let's, so it's about two or three minutes. Uh, the aftermath, the emotional aftermath of, of this incident. Mm-hmm. 
many of the cavers and, and all the rescuers had some serious psychological side effects to this. It was, it was pretty profound. Some of the cavers have never been back in a cave again. It's left some major scars on our team. You know, we're all alphas. Um, a lot of us are, and you're just going in, you save the people and you rescue them, and, and um, we did it. Immediately I started thinking over what I could have done differently. What if I inserted myself and drilled those bolts sooner? What if, you know, I should have let him talk to his wife again? And that went on for weeks, just questioning and second guessing. Could I have gone further and, you know, helped him push up on his hands or get up anymore? That's the only one where we've ever left someone. Otherwise, we will keep going until we find that person and bring that person home. We did our absolute best. We all worked our absolute best. We did everything we knew how to do. But fast forward years later, after I've learned more, um, it's harder now than it was then. because I've learned some, um, some skills and mindset that would have made things different and will make things different in the future. So it's much harder now than it was then. I think the worst feeling that a search and rescue member can experience is being there and not having anything you can do to help. There's situations where we just feel helpless. And there's something called critical incident stress management where there's some techniques, some processes that you can use as a group to do uh, really a group therapy. Um, those things are not always successful. They're helpful, but they're not always successful. In the end, most search and rescue people have to carry a little bit of a burden, and you carry that baggage with you for years. It's hard. It's heavy baggage. I think that's one of the great things about search and rescue, though, is that there's somebody who's willing to do that. And they're your neighbor. They're your friend. They're your co-worker. They're somebody right next to you on the bus, and they're going to get off that bus and go train and work out and get ready to solve a problem that you can't even imagine. So that's uh, it's just incredible. This is Nancy Green. This is um, uh, it's grateful that you you got these search and rescue volunteers to open up about this. Um, it does take us into their interior lives. There there is an emotional toll. I, I think there is a, a huge emotional toll. I, I think Scott could speak better, but just a, about that, but. But just um, witnessing it, I think, you know, there's a lot of lightness and a lot of fun on the team, right? There's a lot of, of camaraderie and joking around, and most calls aren't that serious, honestly. And But then you get these calls like, like Nutty Putty, and they worked so hard, and it was over 24 hours. Um, it might have been, what, 27? 27 hours, hours. Yeah. Um, And they, they just kept trying and trying. And... Um, and even the reality is, even knowing they had that police system set up and the, and the police snapped um, or the peace broke, um, 
that probably wouldn't have even gotten John out in, in all truthfulness. But I thought what was interesting was just, you know, the it is that burden that they had to carry, that regret, that what if. And I think we all second guess ourselves. Um, but when the stakes are so high and the pressure is so intense, um, I mean, it's just amazing to me that people are volunteering to, to do this and to uh, to live with this. You know, the thing that's amazing for me is that the pager goes off and you get a call and it might just be routine. It might be nothing. You might be back in bed in 10 minutes. Uh, you might be on the mountain for the next two days and it might be something completely unique that you've never anticipated that nobody really has anticipated, like Nutty Putty Cave, where, you know, you can't sit there and train for something like that and say, what if? There's so many what ifs out there that you can't train for. And every once in a while, probably at least once a year for a, every team is one of those situations where you just drop your jaw and go, how in the world did this happen? How, why didn't we see this could happen? Uh, so, Scott Hammond, this is uh, there's a lot of ups and downs to this case, particular case, Nutty Putty, um, uh, some fairly unique. There's a point in the middle where you, uh, Nancy Green interviews a uh, search and rescue volunteer who feels like, yeah, we're, we've, we've got him most of the way out. This is, this is going to end well. And then he has regrets now that he, you know, he essentially said that to the media. Um, and it was interesting to me that the one volunteer has regrets or she wonders now because she has additional skills and she wonders if those could have been applied retroactively to 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 uh, to Mr. Jones, John Jones. Um, as you say, these are not absolutely typical, but you say in the film that uh, those are burdens that are carried by the volunteers and they're they're willing to do that. Yeah, what if I'd just gotten there five minutes earlier? Uh, what if I had brought the right uh, or a different piece of equipment? What if I'd trained better on a medical procedure, all of these different things, you know, you have to know, um, particularly Utah County is so diverse in what they have to do. White water rescue, flat water rescue, cave rescue, mountain rescue, high angle rescue search. There are just so many things in that terrain that are required. Same's true in Cache Valley, that there are so many things you have to know. It goes back to, can you anticipate and train for everything? And there are always surprises, Tom. Hmm. Uh, Nancy Green, what what surprised you most? Uh, diving into this world, spending a lot of time uh, with it, what, what surprised you most, especially about the people? Um, I think the commitment. I, I, you know, I would sit there with my camera and I, I literally would, because I live in Salt Lake, and uh, so I literally would be spending weekends um, <laughs> at Scott's house uh, with Scott's family graciously putting me up. And, um, and I would just the anticipation, like what's going to happen and just having to be on call constantly and um, and just seeing how, you know, people would just be listening to the radios and rushing out and and you never know. Um, just just, you know, there would be somebody lost on Timpanogos and you would have a horse posse and a helicopter and a whole search and rescue crew. And you never knew there was that that notion of we don't know how big a problem this really is. Maybe this is somebody who got lost. Maybe they just decided to sleep out overnight because they didn't want to hike in the dark. Or maybe it's somebody who fell and got hurt. It was that sense of the unknown and the sense that you had to throw so much, so many man hours um, at an issue that, that really was surprising to me. Um, and just the, you know, just the fact that 
I think people are, are able to do that um, and that their families actually put up with that is amazing <laughs> to me because my husband was ready to kill me by the end of this. <laughs> right. I guess it really is a, a family family affair. Before we go to break, uh, Scott Hammond, uh, it seems like you, you just get deeper and deeper into this world. There must be something there for you. Oh, you know, there's just nothing. For me personally, there's nothing more rewarding and Nancy mentioned the family thing, and that we're all in in that way. I, I mentioned this on your show before, and in my book I write about it. The second search I went on was for, for my own brother-in-law, and the hardest thing I ever did was to have to tell my wife that we found uh, his body. And um, and once you've done that, even when it's a difficult situation like that, you're hooked. Um, you know, you want to be the person to help in this situation. And a lot of times helping means I'm standing in the parking lot um, helping them unload ATVs or something. It's not always that you're on the mountain, but you just want to be part of that solution. Hmm. In fact, in the Nutty Putty, you talked to uh, John Valentine. He said he was he was given a very difficult assignment, uh, hmm. you know, not in the cave, but as liaison with the family. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's an interesting aspect, and some people really um, respond well to that. Some rescuers really like to interact with family members, and some have a hard time with it. And And sometimes I think it's hard for, for some of the people I spoke with said that that's actually the hardest part for them. And I think it's because that pain um, is so raw, the emotions are so high, that I, uh, you know, often when we're in situations where we're doing search and rescue or, or anything like that, we, you know, we maybe shut off a little part of ourselves in order to get the job done. And I think that that's the, the challenge is, how to keep that connection and that compassion open while doing a really difficult job. You, you talked about what surprised me. Also, I think what surprised me is um, the amount of body recoveries, mm-hmm. the amount mm-hmm. of suicides. the suicides or people who had an accident, got lost, um, you know, passed away. Um, you know, that the, amount, that surprised me. The one thing that you did that was just masterful here, though, is you got inside the heads again and the hearts of the people who were doing that and and help them understand that. And so it, I, I think that's one of the magic, uh, magical things that you got them to talk. They don't like, they're most afraid of the media, but you got them to talk. Hmm. So, I paid them. If you just joined us, we're talking with Scott Hammond. He's a USU professor and search and rescue volunteer, author of Lessons of the Lost, a very fine book. Um, and Nancy Green, film producer, latest uh, film is Search and Rescue. And uh, talks about those uh, volunteers who uh, volunteer. That's the key word. They uh, go out, they train, and uh, they're there for you if, uh, if you do get, uh, get lost. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, more. Um, Scott Hammond and Nancy Green are joining us from the KCPW studios in Salt Lake City. And our thanks to the good folks at KCPW. Uh, you can join us if you have a question or comment. Perhaps your experience out there as a volunteer or uh, perhaps you've been rescued, had a, an experience Uh, out there in the wilderness. Um, The number is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com is our email. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Festival in Logan, Utah, with the revival of Rex, the story of Henry VIII and his obsession with producing a male heir, July 6th through August 8th, Details and tickets at utahfestival.org. This is Management Minute by Professor Scott Hammond. Leaders are learners. 
While visiting a large U.S. company this summer, I got in the elevator with a CEO. Now, this man makes more money in six months than I will make in my lifetime. He recognized me from a presentation I'd given and asked, what are you reading this summer? This leader reads a book a week, three newspapers a day. He is famous for his learning habits. So ask yourself, what are you reading? What are your learning habits? You cannot know the value of knowledge until you have it. The Management Minute is brought to you by our members and the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business One-Year Master of Business Administration, specializing in strategic business development and value creation, business analytics, and finance. Details at huntsman.usu.edu MBA. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and I'm joined uh, from the KCPW studios in Salt Lake City by Scott Hammond, who is a USU professor um, base. I think, Scott, you live in Utah County area, and uh, he uh, teaches in the Uinta Basin. Uh, I think we, we didn't have his microphone up uh, just yet. And we also are joined by Nancy Green, and uh, she is a uh, film producer, and her latest film is called Search and Rescue. Uh, so Scott Hammond uh, teach in the Uinta Basin, right? Still, yes, and uh, based in in Utah, Utah County. Uh, Nancy Green has uh, many films that uh, she has produced. Uh, fine films. The latest is Search and Rescue. We're talking about it on the uh, program today. Scott is a search and rescue uh, volunteer. Um, so let's let's hear just a portion of uh, clip number six from the from the film. This is from the finale of the film. They kind of the people sum up. There's a, there's a couple of quotes here that just really uh, struck me. One of these, I believe, is uh, from uh, John Valentine, who we've referenced a couple of times. Let's hear just a bit of this. I think we all save each other in different ways. Uh, we save each other sometimes emotionally. Um, the physical save is just so much more intense. But we all save each other. We're trying to find ourselves as we search for others. We're trying to rescue ourselves as we try to rescue others. And we realize that it could be us there that every one of us has been lost before and every one of us has needed rescue before. And so it's not a one-way exchange. It's them. It's their son, it's their daughter, it's their mother, it's their father that they're going to look for. So there's just a portion from the finale of the film. A couple of very profound quotes. I think one was John Valentine. The other, we recognize the voice of uh, Scott Hammond. Um, Scott Hammond, let me direct this uh, to you. Um, so we save each other. Um, that's that's pretty profound. Do you, do you feel you really feel that way as a rescuer? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when you're on the mountain, you're always exposed to danger, and you have to rely on your teammates. And you just never know. You never know when somebody's going to have to come after you. Gosh, two weeks ago, we were training in the Provo River for the big runoff, you know, here. And I was crossing the Provo River at a really, you know, training in, in a dry suit and everything. And, uh, and then you're supposed to float down, and they're supposed to throw you a line, and you're training to do this. And I missed the first line. And, you know, 
everyone came after me. I mean, it was just amazing. Everyone, it was just training. My life wasn't in danger, but everyone came after me. It was like, rescue him, rescue him. You know, it just kicks in that way. And so, yeah, it, it, it's that way. And I think we are all in a position where it's, sooner or later we're on both sides. We're either helping somebody or we're the ones to surprise. I mean, to our own surprise, sometimes we find ourselves needing rescue. Nancy Green, uh, you know, if I could apply this, and I, I don't know, it, you know, if it requires too much uh, weight or torque to to apply this to you know our society in general, but it is it is a hopeful sentiment that uh, perhaps more of us could have, should have, that we're we are we are all in this together. I, I think it is, and actually, um, Scott really is the one who made me see this that there was more here than just that that physical save. Um, that that really, in a way, we all, metaphorically, right, or, or even in our everyday lives, we all reach out to each other. We all have that capacity to to help each other. To to when somebody, you know, goes off path, so to speak, to to find them and to bring them back. And and I think that that's hopefully the larger message, especially in today's society, in today's crazy, very divided world, is that we all have that ability to reach out, regardless of of our views or ideas and and just you know connect on a, a different level because um, I do I think we all we all get lost in in some form or another maybe not out in the woods but we all do get lost in, in our lives it is amazing when a subject comes down from the mountain and you know they sometimes they're surprised that, and embarrassed that there's a big crowd there but it's just amazing to see the reaction that you know 50 60 100 I mean, sometimes 200 people came out to look for me when I was lost. Like, I'm that important. And there's a helicopter, and there are all these resources poured into this situation. I'm that important that somebody would come try to reconnect me with my family and, and my loved ones and my life. This, this is very uniquely American, you know. We don't see that in a lot of other societies where people are willing to drop everything and go do that. Scott, one of the themes of your book, Lessons of the Lost, is that we... Some important in our lives, we've all been lost, and you know, talking about physically or emotionally or or whatever it uh, may be. It's interesting how that line blurs. That how many people, uh, so many people who go out and get lost in the woods were already lost emotionally or physically in some way, and they might intentionally or unintentionally. Victoria in the documentary was suddenly she didn't want to get lost, but she was lost sort of emotionally, and she made some bad judgments and ended up being lost in the in the Escalante area for th- four days. And we, we have some uh, clips from that story. And, yeah, there's a blurred line between that emotional and physical lostness. You certainly, if you're in a rescue situation, you find yourself emotionally lost very quickly. And you, you, your options narrow and you can't see what to do. And you really do need help. You mentioned uh, before there's reference, uh, one or two references in the film, uh, so you have people just uh, go out and, 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 you know, make some uh, poor judgments, get lost. Uh, some of this country is very unforgiving. You get lost that way. Um, but, but some of the recoveries, um, you know, which is a euphemism for the, you know, the bodies that you, you go out and, and bring back, some of those are, Scott, suicides? Yeah, uh, that's the, actually the thing that um, is hard about this in a lot of ways is almost half. Maybe I'd say half. I, it's hard. It, it varies from county to county and, and time of year and things, but uh, many of the missions are um, situations where somebody got lost deliberately and didn't want to be found. 
And um, it's also really rewarding in a strange way to bring closure to the family uh, in a situation like that, to help them through their most difficult time, um, to help them know what happened. Um, that's also really rewarding and really important. Even when you have bad news to deliver, you know that you're doing something that is significant. Nancy Green had, had you know, spending time out there, not only with the rescuers, but with those who were lost, those who found recoveries of, uh, of bodies. Are there lessons you take away, having spent some time personally in this area? Um, I think, I mean, I think there are certainly emotional lessons to be learned, um, but I think I took away a lot of just really good, good advice. I mean, one is to is, is to realize you are part of a community and let your community know where you're going. So if I'm going hiking now, I tell somebody where I'm going when I should be back. Um, and I tell, make sure there are people who um, are responsible mm. or relatively responsible. And, um, and just, you know, knowing that anything could happen, that, um, you know, I could be hiking and sprain my ankle. I mean, it might be a small thing, but if I'm many miles out, that could be a big issue. So just being prepared, having more of a mindset of, of looking forward to, you know, or looking, imagining what could go wrong. Um, and, and, just, and just having something, you know, in my pack overnight, having uh, something to keep me warm, having, you know, something to make fire, having, um, you know, extra water, just uh, extra lights, those kinds of things. And, and I think just that sense that, you know, we are, we are not isolated human beings. Um, and that communication is probably our strongest tool that will save us in, in virtually any situation. Yeah, it's interesting how many of these situations start out as, like you say, a sprained ankle or something minor, and then something else happens, and about the third thing that happens that's minor, it all becomes major, it sums up. And so, so many situations are a cascade of events and not a single event that causes somebody to be lost. Victoria in the in the documentaries, a story like that where it was just one little thing and then another little thing and then a third little thing and she breaks her leg and it's a big thing. Let's uh, let's jump in and tell that story a little better. Then we have a little clip of the of the aftermath of that. Uh, Victoria, she's a She's she's an inspirational figure. I think. Oh for, yeah, to me. yeah, for me, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, we love Victoria. <laughs> she's she, amazing. Uh, yeah. She says one of her quotes. She said, "Hope is a mindset." So she was just going to be out there, what for the day? I guess. Yeah, she had come to Utah. She had originally done years and years ago done that BYU survival uh, class in the Escalante, and it changed her life. And so she wanted to go back and do that, but she didn't want to go camp out in the woods every night. And so she got a, stayed in a guest house and was going to do day hikes. And she went out one day and got out a little too long. But when she was responsible. She built a fire and she sort of, um, you know, waited for the morning so she could walk out safely. And then in the morning she walked out and a series of events led her to where she broke her leg. And that, uh, uh, then four days later she was found. And she did some incredible things to survive um, until she was found. But when they were looking for her, they thought they were looking for a body. Mm. And she's—I think she was out there for four days before, in yeah, retrospect, she, before the search and rescue was was called. Oh yeah, yeah. They, she thought they were looking for her, and she had left instructions as to where she was, and that didn't get passed along. And yeah, uh, there's a, a Ray Gardner who's in uh, Garfield County, the deputy down there in charge of search and rescue. Um, he got called into the situation. They thought she'd bolted and not paid her hotel bill. 
and he figured it out very quickly and got and, and marshaled resources very quickly and really saved her life. Yeah, and she did some extraordinary things. Uh, I think she figured, uh, and her ankle was broken very badly, right? Yeah, it's her leg, and, and it was near compound fracture, mm. and she's a, a physician's assistant, and so she knew how bad, she, uh, what kind of condition she was in. What was funny about it, Nancy's sitting here laughing, but, you know, she's sitting there. At one level, she's very clinical and diagnosing herself, and another level, she's a mess and emotionally going through all of these different things, but... One of the things we write about in the book, and I, tell, I think we talk about this in the documentary, is that as she's dragging herself to water with this broken leg, she t- drags a poncho behind her and puts anything that will burn on the poncho. And then when she gets to water, she gets uh, takes a drink uh, and then builds a fire and buries the ashes in the sand and sits on that to keep her warm on these 30-degree uh, nights. Wow, so presence of mind there. Uh, you, you mu- uh, she must have felt like panicking. Certain level probably was panicking, but she got part of herself to, to calm down, I guess. Yeah, she really did. And I think that's the amazing thing about Victoria is the presence of mind to think, to stop, right? She, she even said that at the first night, she said, stop, you're, you know, don't go any further, you're going to die. And I think that, that sense of, you know, what do I need to do? What's the next thing? Um, that I need to do in order to survive this. She didn't, you know, she didn't let um, panic overtake her. She really thought, was able to think almost outside of herself yeah. about what do I need to do? What's that next step? And I think that's that's um, something, Scott, that you've talked about. Yeah, that, that reflexive sense, notion, that ability yeah. to sort of stand above yourself and say, what, you look at the situation you're in. But it's interesting, as, as the, we interviewed the rescuers for that segment, they all thought they had a body bag in the helicopter. Oh, they, yeah. They were like, Brett Crystal, the, the rescuer, is like, we're looking for a body. Yeah. I mean, usually within 78, you know, for somebody who's been out for 78 hours or more, generally you're looking for a body. And yeah. they were just shocked. They were just very pleasantly surprised when she sat up and waved to them. Waved, yeah. They flew over. And it, it, when we video, when we did this segment, Victoria went with us. She was very gracious to go back and hike down to this area where she'd had this ordeal. And, and Nancy... Uh, and her crew videotaped it. It was just so much fun. But a lot of the rescuers, people who were involved in the rescue, came out either spontaneously or by invitation and told their part of the story. And it was very interesting. Let's hear uh, just a clip from this. Uh, so Nancy Green, her film crew, invited Victoria back, a lot of the rescuers. Um, so let's uh, we'll, we'll hear uh, from Victoria Grover and, and uh, a couple of rescuers here. This is uh, clip number five be able to help them but they are going to be able to live and have an incredible story to tell their family their siblings their their uh, posterity that's what i remember i can see you with that big grin on your face there's a bond that exists between the person who's lost and the person who's been doing the rescuing that is really indescribable in that way. And it's, it's the most basic kind of bond that humans have. When the rescuer finds you, you find life again. You find your life. When you think you're going to die, that last night when I thought, this is, well, I guess my life is over, and then the helicopter flew over, and then that morning they came barreling down, those three guys came barreling down to me and weren't mad at me. <laughs> they gave me back 
my future. What else can you give somebody than to say, now you have a future again? So Victoria says, they gave me back my future. That's uh, Scott Hammond. That's, I mean, that's, that's reward enough, isn't it? For oh, a yeah. Rescuer. Yeah. And one of the things that she talks about is she, she was so afraid that, that they'd all be mad at her, that she was, you know, cost them all this money and should have to pay for the helicopter and stuff like that. And that's just never the case. I, everybody needs to know that, that uh, just a few weeks ago, we went to a call out and we were all ready to go. There were about 50 people in the parking lot. They have, there were all kinds of equipment there, a helicopter, everything. And the people walked in and they were so embarrassed. And then the father who called search and rescue was all apologetic. No need to apologize. You know, it's just what we do. We don't mind it at all. And hugs all around. Glad it was a happy ending. There's never any anger. There's never any embarrassment. Sometimes they've, I've seen it when they cheer for somebody they're bringing down the mountain. You know, uh, where where the crew, the the searcher and rescue people are cheering for the subject as they bring them down. So it's a positive kind of a thing. Nancy Green, that's and you treat this briefly in the film. Um, this issue of you know who who pays for what, and you quote one of the a sheriff's special search and rescue. Uh, Official who says, you know, you want to be careful about that because you don't want to discourage people from uh, from making that call. Yeah, it's a difficult thing because it is expensive. I mean, it is very expensive. But Utah has a state fund, uh, reimbursement fund that teams can apply for um, to reimburse costs of the rescue. Doesn't necessarily cover, you know, the personal gear of the 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 trainees, but um, but they can do that, and they do that because they don't want people to be afraid to call out. So um, there are two counties, Wayne and uh, Grand County, that actually um, sometimes do charge. But for the most part, uh, if you're in Utah, you generally don't pay um, for the actual cost of the rescue. Uh, and they just came out with this new, they're coming out with it right now, actually, a Utah uh, search and rescue insurance card where you pay a small fee and um, it helps uh, defray some of that cost. Scott Hammond, what are the... What are some tips you can give, you know, especially relatives, friends? Um, because you might be worried about calling too early. Maybe they're not really lost, or you certainly don't want people to call too late. Yeah, it's it's always better to call early than late. Uh, that's just, uh, you know, one of the obvious things. But also, if they're not telling you where they're going, ask where they're going, because it just narrows the search area so much you need, you know, it, it helps you focus. And uh Imagine, you know, five miles or 500 square miles to search. It's very different. So if you know where they started, the trailhead they started from, where they wanted to go, it makes all the difference in the world um, to, to, you know, it could be it, it can make a small problem um, or a big problem into a very small problem or an easier problem or a more manageable problem. And then, as Nancy said, um, it just doesn't hurt to have those 10 essentials. Boy Scouts learn this all the time. Those 10 essential things in your backpack will save your life. That's what saved Victoria. She had that $2 poncho that she used to drag down the, you know, drag uh, uh, burnables in to cover her with in the at night and keep her warm, to keep the rain off her, to carry water. Um, just little things make a huge difference in these kind of situations. So yeah. tell, tell, tell us some of the 10 things in case people don't know. Well, you you got to have water. And in Utah, you've got to have water. You've always got to have water. You've got to have a way to start a fire. 
You do. You need to have something to keep you warm. So even if it's just one of those little, was it mylar? Those little, uh, you know, poncho things. Have something like that, and um, have a headlamp with a headlight with extra, a headlamp with extra batteries. Yeah. Um, bring extra batteries. Do not count on your cell phone to light your way down, because <laughs> I will guarantee, from personal experience, that you know you won't have enough battery power. Um, but I do. I really do think like that. Number one thing is tell somebody where you're going. Give them a time for when, you know, you expect to be out. And, you know, the advice is call early. People call at night, at dark. I mean, they call it at sometimes it's so late and it's so hard to find somebody who's lost. They just wait too long. So I would just say call early. Yeah, it, it, they'll make a judgment at the other end as to whether or not to deploy. They're not going to deploy when you call necessarily. But they, they may say, well, let's wait, you know, a few hours or though let's take a quick look or let's send a deputy up to make sure their car is really at the trailhead. You know, they'll do things like that uh, before they call everyone out. Um, it just depends on the circumstance. But call early and don't be afraid to call. Um, Nancy Green, before we uh, take another break or last break, um, I wonder, uh, Victoria Grover, was it hard to persuade her to go back? Did she want to go back to, you know, to sort of relive this experience? Did she get closure from that? I think she, she did want to go back. I think part of it was she had a lot of trust in Scott. Scott developed an amazing bond with her. Um, Scott's that kind of guy, though. He, <laughs> he, really, he really, you know, finds these connections with people. Um, and so I think she had a lot of faith in Scott. And so she was willing to go back with us because of that. But also I think she really did... Um, need to go back and see the place and see if her memories of the incident matched with the reality of the terrain. Um, because, you know, our memories can be so fleeting and odd, and especially when you're in shock and you're, you know, you go through such a traumatic experience. She really wanted to um, just ground herself in the reality of, of the situation. And I was so proud of her, though. Yeah. And it's really, it was very interesting to see how that whole incident changed her life, just completely changed her life. In, in what ways? Uh, you know, she she's um, says she's more willing to reach out and help others. Uh, it helped her be a she's a medical you know health care provider, and she said she's more compassionate. Um, she doesn't care why people get into trouble as much anymore. She just wants to help. You know, you, some of us have a tendency, uh, me as a father, to lecture ahead of time, anticipate better. But, it, you know, dealing with the aftermath and with some compassion is something that we can all learn. She's been a great example of all of that. It's changed her life. Let's take a break. When we come back, our final segment with Scott Hammond, who's a search and rescue volunteer um, and author of Lessons of the Lost. Uh, we're also talking with Nancy Green, whose latest film is called Search and Rescue, and it premieres on KUED Channel 7 uh, television on uh, uh, May 9th at uh, 8 p.m. Uh, and then there are some other showings, May 21st, 4 p.m., and May 22nd, uh, 9 p.m., are the, the uh, showings of the film on KUED uh, Channel 7. Well worth uh, watching more following this break. I'm Jeremy Hobson. President Trump has called President Obama a bad or sick guy and accused Obama of illegally wiretapping him. Look, you can figure it out yourself. He was very nice to me with words, but and when I was with him, but after that, there has been no relationship. We'll look into the animosity towards, perhaps, hatred of Obama. That's next time on Here and Now. Join us this morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. On the next Radio Lab. Take your marks. 
Why do Kenyans always win all those races? The Kenyans have done it again. One, two, and three. And what happens to New York City's poop after it's pooped? About 1.3 billion gallons every single day. And, and why aren't kids afraid of quicksand anymore? Well, what are you afraid of? The alien in Pacific Rim. That would be totally more scary. We'll have some answers on the next Radio Lab. Join us this Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We have one last segment. It'll be brief. It'll be about a four-minute uh, segment here uh, with Scott Hammond and uh, Nancy Green. Nancy Green's new film is called Search and Rescue. Scott Hammond is a search and rescue volunteer and USU uh, professor, and they're joining us from KCPW Studios in Salt Lake City. And uh, the film premieres on KUED Channel 7, May 9th at 8 p.m. Search and Rescue is the name of the film. Let's, uh, in the last uh, three or four minutes uh, here, let's hear one final uh, brief clip from the film that we have prepared here. Uh, This is uh, clip number four. This is um, a Search and Rescue volunteer talking about the aftermath of of an accident. Uh, Three hikers uh, go up to a a peak. Uh, One of them uh, falls to his, uh, his death. I remember just standing up there and I thought, wow. Just, life changed. All three of their lives changed. One individual's passed on and two friends. Life's changed forever. Are you ready at that second to say, yeah, I've, I've told all the ones that I love, thank you. I forgive those that have maybe wronged me. Have I apologized to those that I've wronged? Because you never know when you're gonna get that chance. Everything that we do is for somebody that's kind of gotten in trouble. Somebody has had an experience that you guarantee when they see their loved ones in the parking lot or uh, at the hospital, there's tears shed. And I think the simplicity of life is, is brought into one small granular love. And I think Search and Rescue has helped me with the people we've helped, and you get to see that. And it's why a lot of search and rescue people keep coming back to this business and are willing to go out in the middle of the night, on weekends, on holidays, away from family, to meet a stranger, to save a stranger, to help a stranger, and to get that feedback. Where we find somebody who needs our help and we give them what they need, and they give us something back, too. So that's a clip uh, from the film Search and Rescue by uh, Nancy Green. It premieres on May 9th, 8 p.m. on KUD Channel 7. We'll just have a couple of minutes, uh, so let me uh, start with Nancy Green. Just a final comment, just about a minute here. Um, you've, you've immersed yourself in this world. The film is about to premiere. Uh, what would you say at the end here? Um, I, you know, I just hope people watch it and that they come away with an appreciation for for what people are doing, um, but also just maybe reflect more on our own lives, um, our own experiences outside, our own experiences um, helping each other. Um, I don't know. I just hope that people watch it and get immersed in this world that I think is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it is pretty extraordinary. Uh, Scott Hammond will give you a minute uh, last word here. 
Well, I, I just want people to know that the wilderness isn't the dangerous place. I mean, it's really not this, you know, even though we're, we're doing search and rescue and talking about that, it's the place of deep learning. And sometimes you end up in a really deep learning situation when you get a surprise on the trail, when you twist the ankle, when something happens and you need help. And uh, it's that surprise and then the resolution of that surprise and the learning that goes along with it. I think that's what this film is about. We will uh, leave it there. The film is Search and Rescue. We've been talking with producer and director Nancy Green and with Scott Hammond, USU professor and uh, Search and Rescue volunteer. They've joined us from uh, KCPW Studios in uh, Salt Lake City. The film premieres May 9th, 8 p.m. on KUED Channel 7. Also airs May 21st, 4 p.m. and May 22nd at 9 p.m. all on uh, KUED Channel uh, 7. Uh, Nancy Green, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Scott Hammond, thanks. Thank you. And our thanks to the good folks at KCPW, and thanks for listening to Access Utah. ...that we are not admitting into our country the very threats our soldiers are fighting overseas. Refugees from seven Muslim-majority countries... ...now protests, outrage, and backlash from President Trump's refugee ban. You've heard reports on the current refugee crisis. Now we want to hear from you please fill out our survey at upr.org and we'll use your answers to better help us as we cover this important topic. When she was 16, cellist Elisa Weilerstein played Bach for the first time in public. She made it through the first movement. I was very, very happy with the way that went in the concert and then there was the Allemande afterwards and so I thought, okay, now I can relax. That wasn't such a good idea. Elisa Weilerstein shares her Bach trauma and plays Bach beautifully now on the next Performance Today from APM. Join us tonight at 9 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.